we just did an episode where we were talking about our strengths and then we talked about like our bottom strengths and it was like humility for all of us was like our bottom strength <laughs> no for you, you know? not for me oh. if you're happy with the same old ways of dating if you enjoy sucking at communication and you have no desire to improve your romantic life then our podcast might not be for you but if you want some out of the box ideas to deepen your current relationships broaden your sexual horizons develop a better understanding of yourself or learn more about non-monogamy then you've come to the right place I'm Jace I'm Emily and I'm Dedeker and this is the Multiamory Podcast On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about your narcissistic ex. Well, to be more specific, we're talking about narcissism, the word that seems to come out of everybody's mouth when describing their ex. We're going to explore what narcissism really is and why everyone's talking about it. Okay, it's the hot new thing, you guys, this whole narcissism thing. Oh my god, my ex was such a narcissist. My ex was such a narcissist. What about you, Jace? Uh, sure, Yeah. But your ex is sitting next to you. I mean, my partner, Dedeker, is such a narcissist, and I'm really an empath, and it's really difficult for me. Whoa, whoa. I did not expect (laughs) things to get that real that quick. Jeez. So why are we talking about this today, Dedeker? I don't know if I want to talk about it anymore. Well, you always want to talk, because you think your opinion's more important than anyone else. Jeez, okay, this is getting off on the wrong foot. Let's Gosh. talk about people who are okay. Okay, real talk, real talk. Enough of this nonsense. Um, I first heard someone use the term, you know, narcissist to refer to their relationship as a couple of years ago. Um, a friend of mine, he was going through a bad breakup, and he talked to me about how he just read this book that was all about how, you know, the narcissist and uh, the codependent, and the narcissist and the codependent, they have this dance, and like a narcissist needs to have a codependent in their relationship in order for them to function. Um, so that's how he described his ex, and um, I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so first of all, also the word codependent perked mm-hmm. up my ears at the time, because when I was growing up, basically, I remember my mom talking to me all the time about the dangers of having a codependent relationship. Um, you know, codependence was basically, it was like a bad word growing up. Like Mm. any dysfunctional relationship we saw on TV or that any of her friends were having, uh, it was, you know, oh, codependent relationship, codependency, oh, codependency is so bad. Um, And uh, I started realizing that when I talked to other women my age, Emily, does your mom talk about codependency? Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah? (laughs) All I'm saying, like, Yes. Are you kidding? She was like, I was so codependent when Mm. I was young. Or like, you know, it's kind of a hot word. Maybe it became hot in the 90s. Yeah. So that's the thing is, is I realized at first I thought that this was just my mom. Like this was just my mom's experience was with codependency or whatever. But then I, Mm -hmm. when I started talking to more women my age, they started saying the same things that their moms always warned them about codependent relationships. And so I realized like, huh, it must have been something in the 80s and 90s that it must have been, like, the pop psychology thing. And Mm so, while I was realizing that, also, as time went on, I started seeing more and more, like, in my friends' Facebook posts when they would give big, vague, bookie posts about their relationships that had fallen apart or about their exes or whatever, that everyone was talking about their ex being a narcissist um, or about them being in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist and trying to get out of it. And, 
even going on to talk about, again, like I kept seeing that phrase again, like the narcissist and the codependent or even the narcissist and the empath. Um, so it's just started getting intriguing to me. So what I did when I was preparing for this episode is I went to Google and in Google, you know, you can type in any word and it'll bring up a definition, maybe some synonyms, but you can also track the word usage over time and like the popularity of the word over time. Um, mm. And so I typed in both codependent and narcissist and sure enough, like, you guys can see the graph. Maybe I'll try to dump the graph into our show notes so people can see that basically what you see is in the 90s, both codependent, the term codependent and narcissist have this huge uptick in frequency. And this is in books and news articles and, and you know, everything that Google's indexing. Um, and then somewhere around 1995, there's suddenly this huge dip where codependent stops being used as often, but narcissist goes in the opposite direction. It kind of shoots way up. It's like a mirror image of each other on the graph. So something something happened in 1995. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Where the term codependent started to fall out of popular usage, but narcissist really shot up. And it's still rising till today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm really curious about that because obviously the concept of narcissism itself isn't new. That's not a new concept, but... I wanted to know why is everyone suddenly talking about it and why is everyone talking about it now in the context of relationships? Well, I was going to ask the question, the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal happened, I think like 95, 96. Yeah, that came to mind. I didn't know if that mind. had anything to do with it. I'm not sure. That did come to mind. I mean, when I looked for it, like I wasn't sure if there was a particular book or a particular like study that happened that came out. I'm sure it must have been a book. So if anybody's listening and they, they know something off the top of their head that fits like that time frame, that like 95-ish, that a particular book either about codependency or about narcissism came out, then please let us know. Yeah, well, apparently, if you Google the term narcissist, you're going to find a ton of articles about it. Um, one of them is 10 signs that you're in a relationship with a narcissist. And then one is how to break up with a narcissist. And then how to heal after you've broken up with a narcissist. <laughs> People's um, so Facebook you'll... posts, too, sharing oh, this kind oh, of stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. So many articles yeah. about that, too. Yeah. yeah it's, well, and on the other side of the spectrum, too. But you'll find this whole, like, mythos surrounding the way the nar- narcissist there won. I, I screwed yeah, it up. How many right times there. will we mess yeah. up the word narcissist? <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, just one. <laughs> yeah, um, surrounding the way narcissists function in relationships. And then, yeah, you'll see articles like the narcissist and the codependent um like your friend Dedeker talks mm-hmm. to you about or even just the narcissist and the empath or the narcissist and their victim which mm. I, it, to me this feels very men male or sorry men versus women kind of thing like the man is the narcissist and I the mean, woman is the empath I and will it, like it's I w- putting these people yeah. in these boxes i will say that when i saw facebook posts about it it usually was from what I saw, usually women talking about, uh, you know, their former partners being narcissists. To be fair, the first time I ever heard it, it was a male friend who came to me and uh-huh. said that. So obviously it's it's not like, you know, it's not like, uh, I think, completely black and white there. But I do feel like well, I see more women talking about their former, like their ex-boyfriends, their former male partners as being narcissists. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just say something. Yeah. Well, I think that you were about to, to get into it, but just this... Uh, kind of painting with this blanket brush of like, well, my ex is this label that means that all the problems are theirs, right? And in yeah. this case, it's this label of narcissist. And I just wanted to point out, you know, something that um, 
you know, for, for maybe longer than that, it, which I think tends to happen more often the other way, which is men talking about former female partners, which is calling them crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's, that's my ex. She was crazy. Or you know, I had this mm-hmm. ex and she was crazy. Like that that's really commonly used. And I think, you know, narcissist is maybe even a little bit more specific than that. But either way, it's like putting this like kind of diagnosis on your exes and using it very broadly about just anyone that you had any problems with. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- so I think that's why it started really catching my eyes. Cause it just started to look weirdly suspicious to me, just suspicious. That there are so many people using the same term and so many people, especially also using the counter term of like, well, I'm an empath or I was the codependent or I was the victim. Um, and so, of course, I initially got suspicious because it's like, this is weird that there's so many people who are able to essentially paint the story of like, my ex was evil and I'm the good person or I was the victim. At the same time, you know, I know that was my initial reaction, but at the same time, you know, I didn't want to be discrediting people's experiences, you know, like, I obviously I didn't want to victim blame or I didn't want to immediately write someone off who had a painful experience. And so that was why I actually wanted to dig into this to kind of figure out like, okay, like what's actually going on here? What actually is narcissism? What actually is narcissistic personality disorder? Like, is this, um, you know, what are the chances that everyone I'm seeing has had a partner with narcissistic personality disorder, you know? And I really just wanted to get into like, what's actually going on here. Yeah, no, I, I just find it interesting because my mother, for example, always used to talk about codependency mm-hmm. as a real negative. Mm-hmm. And, and my mom I don't too, know all the time. Yeah. So, so to label like one as evil and one as good, like to me, from what I've heard, at least, or what I grew up with, codependency in a lot of ways is like just as bad or bad in a different way, but not that like it's a victim y type thing. Also, yeah. my mother very much talks about like, don't be a victim. So I don't know, <laughs> which may trigger some people and may not be like the best thing ever. And it did trigger me in ways too. So, mm. well, I think that's the interesting thing. And, and I think we'll, we'll come back to in this episode a lot talking about language. Um, mm-hmm. be, and I think we come back to that on this podcast a lot, but I mean, I think the phrase, the narcissist and the empath, that one feels the worst to me. Like that one feels very clearly black and white. This person was wrong and I was right. Cause I'm an empath and empaths are good you know, sensitive, touchy feely, loving people. Um, right. The connotations with empath are positive ones. Yes. Yeah. With the co- with the with the narcissist and the codependent, that one feels a little bit more neutral to me because yeah, codependent does. St- I think it does still carry more negative connotations, but it still kind of carries this nuance of like, but I was the victim because I was codependent. Like, yeah, you know. Well, well yeah. Like, I, mean, I think I think the codependent it carries more of a nuance of like I was the passive victim in this case um yeah or that that seems to me yeah or i think it's maybe suggesting that i'm going to accept some blame in that i enabled this situation to happen which i think codependent has a little more of that connotation to it but it still is this very much um kind of diagnosing someone else Mm -hmm. yeah and that's and that is I, i think dedeker mentioned this a little bit but just the important thing to keep in mind Anytime we start throwing around terms that are either real diagnoses or are real uh, legal issues, that when we start throwing around those terms too casually, not only do we stand the risk of, you know, really hurting the people that we're using these about, but also discrediting the experiences of people who've actually 
had to deal with either having these disorders yeah. or having, you know, been victims of these things. And so that's, I think, a, another point that we're going to come back to a lot throughout this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is what, that, what is it yeah. actually? <laughs> if, right. if we're like screwing up the definition here, then what actually is the definition? Well, well, kids, let's sit around the old story time table, <laughs> the old story time table. And we're the old go. story time table. <laughs> All the way back <laughs> <Okay>. to <laughs> ancient Greek mythology and the story of good old Narcissus, who was cursed to fall in love with his own reflection as a punishment by Nemesis, who is sort of the uh, like Sheikah version of Zelda, but with Aphrodite being yes. like this badass mm-hmm. Nemesis, um, mm-hmm. for rejecting Echo, who was... Uh, I believe her daughter and was in love with him. I don't remember if that's exactly true. Uh, But anyway, the point is that Narcissus, which is where the term narcissism comes from, is that he was cursed to fall in love with his own reflection when he bent down to the water to take a drink and he saw his reflection. and was like, oh, I finally found true love because I'm so beautiful. And that he stayed there forever and then eventually turned into a flower. And that's where the Narcissus flower comes from because it's bent over like it's looking at itself in the water. Oh, I didn't know that part. I mean, yeah. I knew I didn't that the even Narcissus know there was a flower named I knew Narcissus. there was a flower, but I didn't know I didn't know it was actually part of the mythology. I thought it was yeah. just like he died. Oh, and then maybe like one of the gods took pity on him and turned yeah. him into Something a flower like because that makes everyone feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. he's like freaking Dorian Gray over here. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Something like um, that. So okay, so this is this is a definition. I don't know <laughs> where this is from, but but here it is. Um, it's defined as an interest in or concern with the self along a broad continuum from healthy to pathological, including such concepts as self-esteem, self-system, and self-representation, and true or false self. Well, then. So we'll dig into more of the different pieces of that definition a little bit later. Um but to take that a step further, so that's just the definition of n- what narcissism is. And I looked a little bit further to see, like, okay, what's, like, what's the diagnosable version of this? What is actually narcissistic personality disorder or NPD? Um, so this is the definition of NPD, and this is from the Mayo Clinic. Um, narcissistic personality disorder is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance a deep need for excessive attention and admiration troubled relationships and a lack of empathy for others but behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism Um, and Mm -hmm. we they give us a list of specific symptoms and it's a little bit long but bear with us (laughs) well so so the first one as it mentioned here is this exaggerated self exaggerated sense of self-importance and then also having a sense of entitlement and requiring constant excessive admiration Uh, so those you know kind of go together that you deserve to be admired you're entitled to be admired and you are that Mm. important Um, that you expect to be recognized as superior to other people even without achievements that warrant it and uh, exaggerating things like your achievements and your talents or believing those to be far in excess of what you've actually developed them to be. Um, You're also preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, or the perfect mate. Um, They believe they are superior and can only associate with equally special people. Um, 
monopolize conversations and belittle or look down on people they perceive as inferior. They also expect special favors and unquestioning compliance with their expectations. Right. It kind of goes along with that sense of yep. entitlement of just like, sure. you shouldn't question, like I should be getting yeah, you, what I want. Exactly. And then yeah. they take advantage of others to get what they want. Yeah. Also, I mean, having an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others which also could be described as a lack of empathy, which I think is where that parallel of the narcissist and the empath comes from, uh, to be envious of others and also to believe that others envy them, to behave in an arrogant or haughty manner, coming across as conceited, boastful, or pretentious, uh, and to insist on having the best of everything. For instance, needing to have the best car or the best office at work or whatever it is. Yeah. And... Okay, first of all, probably every single person, I know probably all of us have had at least one ex who has done this. Yeah, that's the thing. I think everyone I can talk to can look at this list and be like, and be oh, like, yeah, oh my God, yes. I know, like, either yes. I dated somebody like that, or I know somebody like that, and they're a yeah. jerk. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. then secondly, and perhaps a little bit more frighteningly, um, all of us as individuals have probably exhibited some form of that behavior at some point. Oh yeah, totally. Unquestionably. Totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I we were, we I just, have. we just did an episode where we were talking about our strengths and then we talked about like our bottom strengths and it was like humility for all of us was like our bottom <laughs> strength. No, for you, you too. Not for me. Oh, really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, that was I, so it meta, Emily. It wasn't one of the yeah. top ones. Uh, um, but that's the thing is, is also reading through this list it's like some of that also feels quite familiar because like there are times when I feel that way too you Absolutely. know like where I feel like I think maybe others envy me for certain things or mm-hmm. times when I want to exaggerate my achievements or my talents it's like there's a little bit of myself in there too which is the more yeah. unsettling part yes and that's exactly the point that the reason why we bothered going through this big list here is not to give you a lot of tools to go out and diagnose all your exes as narcissists <laughs> but instead to point out exactly that that pretty much all of us have exhibited some of these tendencies or done some of these things in our lives or maybe even still do them today and Mm -hmm. that's the thing to remember is that narcissism falls on a spectrum and that all of us are somewhere on this spectrum and we might vary a little bit from day to day Uh, so psychologist dr craig malkin writes for example posting too many selfies hogging the bathroom mirror or speaking loudly on a cell phone is not the same as compulsively lying to insulting or even screaming at one's partners which are all common habits of the severely narcissistic so again severely meaning it's on the spectrum it's not a yes or no it's Mm -hmm. not a you are or you're not yeah, and God knows I definitely have posted too many selfies, hogged the bathroom mirror and spoken loudly on a cell phone You hate phones. You hate speaking on the phone. I hate speaking on the phone, but Jace always points out that like when I'm coaching or when I'm in a Japanese lesson that I apparently yell a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. From like across the building where we're staying, I can hear her <laughs> shouting into the... I think, that, I think that's just my theater background coming into play. <laughs> that oh, when I'm well, ready to speaking I'm of so narcissists... Loud. I'm so <laughs> fucking loud. People yeah, with theater all narcissists. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay, so okay, so to bring us back, to bring us back, so that's the main point that we want to make is that narcissism is on a spectrum, and you can have someone who's not very narcissistic at all to someone who's extremely narcissistic, but even beyond that, someone who is pathologically narcissistic, as in diagnosable NPD, um, and uh, that can fluctuate and that can change. Um, and as a matter of fact, like there are certain narcissistic qualities that are actually mentally healthy for us to have. Um, such as having emotional resilience. So being able to kind of bump, you know, kind of, what do I want to say, kind of jump back or spring back from failures or disappointments really quickly. Um, Holding other people around you and yourself to high standards Um, or, you know, having high confidence and and high self-esteem. It's not bad to have high self-esteem and to have high self-confidence. Oh, just Jace and I had a acting teacher um, for many years who used to use the term a peculiar kind of arrogance. And <laughs> he would say it essentially is like a good thing that it's good once in a while to have like this, this bit, this little bit of like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm worth it. I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also an attractive quality potentially to have at times. If it's that's too much, then yeah. no, but, but just enough. That's really interesting you use the phrase like I'm worthy as as being part of that quality because if you think about it if a relationship is ending and you're ready to walk away you knowing like oh I'm worthy of not being in a bad relationship or I'm worthy mm-hmm. of not being treated like this like that's actually a really healthy mindset to have when you're trying to leave a relationship. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So you know, further in going along with this, that's why a narcissist has never been accepted as a, as a mental health diagnosis, just being like a just, narcissist, just narcissist, just yeah. narcissist mm-hmm. as opposed to narcissist personality disorder, which has a little bit more specific requirements to it. Um, and many narcissists, you know, people who would be high on the spectrum of narcissism uh, might not have this kind of uh, you know, malignant, harmful form of narcissism or any other mental health problems, they're simply higher on the spectrum than other people. And as we were saying, that can result in some positive traits that are going to help them out and some also some negative ones that might be hard for themselves to deal with or for others to deal with. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to toss in really quick because I realized that when we were actually defining NPD that we didn't really uh, qualify this that uh, I think that you know from my research what I found like like the line between someone who's just highly narcissistic versus someone who actually has NPD um, is related to kind of the effect that it has on one's outside life so as in like this person's narcissism is so bad that they they cannot have a relationship at all maybe it's so bad that it's like they don't think anyone any other human being is worthy of being in a relationship with them or mm-hmm. cannot hold down a job, like cannot handle money, can't, like cannot take care of themselves. Like, you know, kind of the same similarities of addiction where like it's an addiction when it's starting to spill out into the rest of your life. And while of course someone who's highly narcissistic is going to affect the people around them, it is kind of this fine line where it goes from just highly narcissistic to actually being a disorder that needs to be treated. And something else to keep in mind with a lot of diagnoses from the DSM is that a, uh, an important factor for a lot of those is that people self-identify that this is a problem, that this is causing their quality of life to go down. And I think that the reason why that factor is in there for a lot of diagnoses is that it's to try to move psychology away from the time when 
everyone else would diagnose someone else with something and then institutionalize them. This idea of like, oh, well, if enough people think you're a jerk, we're going to lock you away. And, um, you know, or, or call you a witch if we were going to go even further back than that. Right. But this idea that, that narcissism to be diagnosable also like Dedeker was saying has these really profoundly negative effects on your life of not being able to maintain a relationship at all or have any, or hold down a job. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So the next thing we wanted to talk about is why we are so quick to use the label of narcissist. Um, And I guess, I don't know, it just sometimes saying that your ex or whomever is a narcissist, it just helps us find this concrete reason why like that relationship didn't work out. And it's also for people who have actually experienced a relationship with, with someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, that's it. And this can be very healing and validating. Um, But then on the other devious end, it can remove your responsibility from the situation a little bit, which is not necessarily a very good thing if you just are so quick to label someone as narcissistic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think what we see here is, I mean, we've all been through breakups and we've all Mm -hmm. been through painful breakups. And when you're in that process, what I see people do the most often and what I know that I've done the most often is uh, searching for a reason why. Because for some reason, we think that if we can find the reason why it all fell apart, then maybe it'll feel better or we'll know what to avoid next time or something like that, which isn't always necessarily the case, but that doesn't stop us from doing it. You know, so we search for a reason why. And if you can find a list like this, it's like, oh, these are the symptoms of someone who's a narcissist. And you can be like, oh my God, that's it. That must've been what it is. Like, that's why it all fell apart is because my ex was a narcissist. It makes total sense. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's, again, it's a very human need for us to just find a reason and to find a meaning behind something. But then on the slightly more selfish side, also when you're handling that pain from a breakup and everything just feels really crappy it can feel really really nice to just kind of not have to think about the things that you did wrong too or the ways that you may have contributed like like anything that can enable you to just be like well it was all their fault 
and that kind of frees me up to just kind of take care of myself. It's a very understandable thing, but it is, as Emily said, it is kind of like the more devious underside, I think, of this phenomenon of everyone calling their ex a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another side of this that's that's worth addressing, or not another side, but another um, kind of related thing, is just this idea of needing to paint people with this very broad brush of, oh, well, you're all bad. And maybe in this case, not saying that they're a bad person, although I think often we are having that connotation by calling people narcissists, but... Um, that you're saying like, oh, well, everything in this situation, they're bad at or they're a bad person in these ways because they are, boom, this label. Rather than looking at the reality of it and maybe the reason why you're happy to be out of that relation is, relationship is not because they're a narcissist, but because there were things in that relationship that weren't healthy for you, that weren't good for you, that you didn't enjoy, that you know, wasn't adding value to your life. And that's a very different thing from saying, well, because they were this versus actually doing, I think what takes more work, which is looking at what are the specific things that happened? What are the actual things that happened? And I think I just want to bring this up because I'm seeing it happen a lot now in news coverage and in, you know, people's writing on, you know, Twitter or Facebook or, you know, debates I hear people in in real life as well is a lot of this trying to make arguments to decide whether a person is good or bad or Mm. whether they are this or that, right? It's kind of this hard line. You're either on this side or you're not. You're either a horrible, evil sexual assaulter or you're a good person. And there's no room in there, right? That that's a big part of the cultural narrative right now. And I think this falls into similar things where we want to have this solid diagnosis. You just are or you aren't this thing rather than doing what takes more work and looking at each of the individual pieces and the individual actions and realizing, you know, that good people can do bad things and uh, that maybe no one is truly evil. Yeah. I mean, I deeply appreciate the time that is occurring at this moment and the fact that potentially real change might be happening um, for the better in a lot of ways. And that's something to look forward to and to uh, bring forth and, and kind of celebrate in many ways. However, I agree with you in in a sense, Jace, just that, that we all come to this life with our own sets of baggage and that to say that a single person is all evil or all good is probably false in many ways. Um, and that, that we really should uh, understand that, like, when you look at your ex, for example, they're not just a narcissist and you're not just a victim, but rather we we had challenging things on both ends and they may have a lifetime of abuse in, in various ways that led them to, to act in a certain way. And you may have also had various things happen in your life that led you to act a certain way. And that's something to think about here. Yeah, something I do want to clarify with this discussion, though, is I think that the key is that there's a difference between holding some someone accountable for things that they've done. And it's a very different thing to say you are a bad person because of this thing that you did. So it's mm-hmm. not to say, you know, because some people will make the argument of, oh, but I mean, to, to use it in this term, oh, well, my ex did this thing, which was you know, could be described as an abusive behavior and it felt that way to me. So therefore they're a bad person and someone else could say, well, but 
you know, what if, you know, it was because of the hardships in their life? Or maybe what about the amount of pain that they might have been in that caused them to act that way or something? And it can be interpreted as an excuse, like that that somehow excuses their behavior because we're again trying to put it back into this black or white. So if anyone says anything sympathetic about them, it means they're saying, oh, they shouldn't be accountable for these bad things or you shouldn't be glad to be out of that relationship. And it's just not that simple that Mm. they absolutely should be accountable. And in this case, maybe that accountability just means not getting to be in a relationship with you anymore. But that doesn't have to mean that they are all bad and that anyone who thinks good of them thinks what they did was okay. Yeah, and we're going to get into that a little bit more a little bit later in this episode. But yeah, that's the thing is, is that it's hard because you can't actually say to someone, well, you're calling your ex a narcissist, but they probably didn't actually have NPD. That that doesn't mean that I'm saying that what your ex did was okay. Right. <laughs> you know, right. by any mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I want to move us along to talking about why it is dangerous for us to be tossing this specific label out willy-nilly. Um, mm-hmm. And it is that. It is willy-nilly. It's because... You know, if we call both someone who is like a jerk to you and someone who really has a mental disorder and someone who's like a sadistic fuckhead, <laughs> um, we apply the same level, uh, same level, the same level of label. I'll say that 10 times fast. Um, level of label. To all of these people, it serves to trivialize the experiences of people, for instance, who actually have had a loved one, either a parent or a partner or whoever, who actually has NPD. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it kind of waters it all down to a certain extent, I think. Yeah. And as we've said before, it also, it also, you know, takes away any of our own accountability for things. Uh, it just gives us this temptation to try to come up with a diagnosis for someone else so that we don't have to look really hard at ourselves. Um, and, and that... It, also, I think it can make us so afraid if we see any of ourself in the description of narcissism mm-hmm. that it almost makes us want to argue that much harder about why we're not that and why someone else was. Uh, because, like we said, we all have some of these traits, that it is this spectrum, and it's not just a thing that's an on or off. Yeah, and most likely those of you listening out there are probably not a psychologist, and you're not <laughs> legally able to diagnose people (laughs) however if you are listening to this right now and you are an actual psychologist i'm sorry (laughs) by all means go ahead but yeah yeah well that's the other thing is that's also the really tricky thing of people who are not trained to diagnose mental disorders trying to diagnose mental disorders Mm -hmm. and i mean it's the same problem of like if you're not a doctor and you're trying to diagnose like somebody else's health problems um you know, where it's not to say that you're going to be completely inaccurate or completely off base, but you're also not a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that that really bothers me is is that it already like mental health and like having a mental disorder already has so much stigma attached to it, which sucks. Mm-hmm. But then on top of it, to be minimizing people who actually have a disorder is just really damaging i mean i think it's the same thing when we see like so many people being like oh i have ocd or oh i have add absolutely (laughs) yes when they're not actually diagnosed and it's like you say you're ocd just because you kind of like to live in a clean place and you're minimizing the experience of somebody who actually has crippling ocd that they're trying to be healed from Mm -hmm. Um, i knew someone with ocd and triggered telomania who literally plucked their own hair out of their body yeah see that's it's not like it's not a thing to be tossing around irresponsibly Mm -hmm. um 
And I think like we kind of talked about at the beginning of this episode is that it does echo that same dynamic of men labeling their female exes as crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's it's, you know, has problems on so many levels that not only does it minimize, you know, the experience of actually being with someone with mental illness, but also, you know, serves to do all the same, you know, bag of tricks of trivializing somebody and reducing somebody and, the age-old thing of calling women hysterical, you know, like it already has all those mm-hmm. problems baked into it as well. And I think we see a lot of the same issues with kind of flinging around the narcissist label. Yeah. Right. And that the thing to keep in mind too, that when we talk about narcissistic personality disorder, is that that's something that the person who has it suffers greatly from. So it's not only minimizing the experience of people who have had, you know, had partnerships with, people with that disorder, but also the experience of the people themselves who might suffer from that uh, by just, again, throwing it around irresponsibly. So what can you do if yeah, this is so, happening? Yeah. So what's the takeaway here? Um, yeah. Because obviously we're also not psychologists and we can't <laughs> tell you, <laughs> Too true. Oh, <laughs> you know, Ugh. your partner definitely has NPD or your partner definitely doesn't, or your ex does or doesn't like, obviously we're not the authorities who can say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first thing that you can do is, first of all, as we've been saying, is just kind of change the way that you talk and think about these things. You know, just having an awareness of how and when you decide to apply the label of narcissist to someone. Um, if anything, I feel like it's safer for you to say, oh, this person has some narcissistic tendencies more so than to label them as a narcissist or as somebody who has a narcissistic personality disorder. Um, or even better as we started talking about before, is to actually look at the real behavior that's happening that's the problem. Yeah, so that that's also the thing, is that really at the end of the day, whether you're, like, if, if you're in a relationship currently with somebody, whether it's a parent or a partner or whoever, if you're in a relationship with somebody that you suspect is a narcissist, um, now whether that person actually has NPD or they don't, Really, at the end of the day, the narcissism itself is not the problem. It is the whatever behavior is, you know, whether that is being abusive or neglecting or, um, you know, any number of problematic behaviors or, you know, things like like the, you know, what was his name? Good old Craig Malkin. Yes, good old uh-huh. Dr. Craig Malkin says, like, li- like, you know, compulsively lying or screaming or maybe actually abusing you. Like, those are the things that are actually causing the problem. And that behavior itself can lie on a spectrum too, right? You know, so if it's, you know, someone physically abusing you, probably mm-hmm. better to handle that by leaving or by getting some kind of help for getting you prepared to get out of that relationship. Um, if it's on the spectrum of maybe some lying or being disrespectful to you or maybe, you know, not fulfilling the things that you need or desire in the relationship, that could be solved either by leaving or by actually addressing that behavior with your partner. Um, you know, outside of rather than just hopping straight to, well, you have NPD or you're a narcissist, so that's the main problem that we need to fix here. Mm-hmm. I think that even painting yourself in that role can often keep you in a negative relationship a lot longer than you might otherwise if mm. you were to actually take it apart and look at the behaviors and say, oh, wow, you know what? These are not behaviors I'm okay with experiencing in my relationship. Instead of, especially with the label of empath, which I think is so dangerous because empathy is a a very good trait to have. And so we have a more positive association with an empath. And I think that that also, um, 
you know, again, kind of allows us to not really look at what's going on in the relationship instead to say, oh, well, maybe I can't help it. Or maybe this is just always the role I'm going to have in my life or something rather than, Mm. I guess, the theme that I keep coming back to. And I think is sort of a theme of this whole show really (laughs) is just taking everything apart rather than following sort of other people's scripts or other you know, examples of just like, well, this is just how it works. And so I have to deal with what I get instead Mm -hmm. looking at each individual piece and really evaluating what that means to you. Is that a kind of relationship you're okay with being in, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, also if, you know, if you are in a relationship and whether you think that your partner actually has NPD or they don't, or maybe they just have really narcissistic tendencies, but regardless, if you're being hurt repeatedly and nothing's changing, like, Get the fuck then out. <laughs> you can get the hell out. Of course, yeah. of course, that's always easier said than done. Like we totally get that. We've but all been there. Not we've leaving all been a relationship there. We should have mm-hmm. left. Yes. Yep. But it oh, yeah. is an option. It is an option, or something that you can actually do. You know, obviously, rather than trying to stick around and change your partner or trying to get them to mm-hmm. fix themselves or whatever it is. Um, well, and that as hard as it is to leave someone, they don't have to be a bad person in order for you not to want to be in a relationship with them. Exactly. Right? Like we were saying before, that it's not this black and white. In order for you to leave, you have to find a way to define them as a bad or unhealthy person. They could be a wonderful person who does really good things in the world and works for charity all the time and is making a positive difference, but they still might be hurtful or unhealthy for you. And that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad person either. I I just really, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately and I just, I keep coming back to it. So sorry if I sound like a broken record, but just this idea that I feel like in a culture like we have here in the United States that tends to be very litigious and that, you know, when accidents happen or people get hurt anywhere in any circumstance, there's this desire to find who was at fault. It's like, oh, well, it was the company that hired the construction worker that built this step that broke under, you know, when I walked on it this time because it hadn't been maintained in this long and kind of doing this whole thing of being like, we need to find a cause for this, uh, Mm. that that is a fairly uniquely cultural thing for us. Yeah. I don't want to say uniquely Mm. American, but we're definitely a big example. (laughs) It is, it it is very American, but I think there are other, (laughs) other countries and other places where they would do a similar thing, but just to keep in mind that not everyone does that. And when I bring this up, a lot of people uh, in discussions will kind of be like, "Mm, uh," because it's so ingrained in us. It's so Mm. part of our culture that, that that's a really hard belief to question the idea that no, someone should be it at fault for this someone needs to be held accountable for it that we even need to distinguish between like states that do no fault divorce for instance yeah that's a great example that's a textbook example i hadn't even thought about that yeah yeah yeah. it's not something i even think about because california is a no fault divorce state right it didn't work out Cool. Yeah, right. like irreconcilable differences. Like, yeah, that you so don't I, like, have I've to never, be suing never, for divorce, essentially. Yeah, yeah, so like I never even think about that, and then I realize like, oh crap! Like there are places that that still very much operate on you that have, basis. Yeah, you have to prove they were bad enough in order to get a yeah, divorce. Like, on what yeah. grounds will you divorce yeah. me? Yeah. So I just yeah. wanted to bring that up, and just to point it out that that in all of this, to just keep in mind that some of those things we might take for granted as being like, but no, we need to define these things. Um, you know, might not be as black and white as we think it is until we start mm-hmm. to really take each piece apart and look at it and question it. 
Well, we flew through this episode a lot faster than I thought we were going to, but I do have a bonus question for the twos of you that I I was thinking oh, about including. Um, really? What? Yeah. Okay. So just to go back to like the more nerdy, like tracking the usage of words and popularity of words <laughs> over time. Um, okay. I was wondering, I was like, okay, so first it was codependent and now it's narcissist. What do we think is the next thing? Is there anything that we've seen in social media that's coming up of like, it could be a pop psychology thing or it could just be a particular term that's getting thrown around. I mean, there's so many, but I feel like specifically in regards to relationships or the way people talk about their past relationships. I mean, Gosh. anxiety is the word that I would use. Really? Or that mm. I would like throw out. Just so many people say like, I'm an anxious person or an underground anxious person or huh. whatever. Yeah, actually, you know what? That but apparently I- I'm wrong. Now that you mention it, no, I've heard that actually it recently in some discussions, again, kind of that self-diagnosis of diagnosing yourself mm. with anxiety. And it's, again, mm. it's a tough one because anxiety disorder and the feeling of anxiety are two different things, but we tend to mm. get them you know, mixed up or we're not Lump as clear about together. what we mean. To say I have anxiety rather than I feel anxious or mm-hmm. even I often feel anxious can still be a very different thing. You know, that's yeah, I an guess interesting that makes one. sense. I guess it could be the same problem of, of that yeah. sort of to minimize people who actually have anxiety disorders. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So then other mm-hmm. people will be like, oh, yeah, I have that too. And I don't. Oh, yeah, with I'm so it anxious. Or like, this. oh, yeah, I have so much social anxiety. Right. I guess I say that a lot. And maybe I, I guess I should probably mm-hmm. change that because I don't actually have diagnosable social anxiety, you yeah, know? Interesting. Huh, but I think at the same time, it doesn't mean that you can't experience social anxiety. Well, yeah, but I, I can still say I sometimes feel but anxious in social situations. Yep, it's a different, it's just a subtle Rather little difference. Like, I am uh, an anxious, yeah. A diagnosed anxious person, I guess. Yeah. I think that, um, I think something that we're going to start seeing, I don't know how related this is, I think we're going to start seeing a swing the other way after how big, like, the secret and kind of affirmations and manifesting have been. I think we're, we might be starting a, a swing toward some, I don't know what it'll look like, either some sort of, like, uh, I don't know what I don't know what that would look like, but I've I've been starting to notice that going from almost everyone really supporting this idea of you know manifesting and the power of positive thinking and the secret and the science of getting rich and like all of these things that kind of had this resurgence, I think we're going to go we're going to swing towards something else. I don't know what it's going to be though. But or, you think specifically in regards to relationships, though? Uh, I think it's going to cross over into that. I think it's all all related. Mm-hmm. So I think relationships is an area where um, where those sorts of ways of positive thinking come up a lot because I think relationships are for people such an intangible thing. It's mm-hmm. not so concrete as getting an education or getting a license to do a certain kind of work that where we maybe. Ex- feel like we have a little more control over it, even though often people don't feel a lot of control over the work that they can get or their, you know, viability in the job market. But I think relationships even more so people treat Mm. us so sort of ephemeral Mm. and magical. Um, And also kind of uh, like the, the manifesting thing I think is a little bit related to both entitlement being that, oh, if I do these things, then I'm, in, I'm definitely going to get these, and then I'm, I'm entitled to be upset if I don't. Uh, and then also this idea that relationships and that love is something that's cosmically predestined for you. I think that that all sort of is tied up in it, which is why I think it will show up a lot in relationships. And I'm interested to see where we go next with that, how things start changing 
um, you know, as, as millennials start growing up more and we start seeing whatever generations coming up after that, I, mm, I think things well, are going to be changing. Dedeker, what is the word in which you were looking for? What? You, you said like, what's the next word? Oh, what on do you think? List? Or do you know? Do you have the answer? I thought you had the answer. I don't have the answer. No, what? I was. Uh, I, no, I, I don't know. Because okay. I, I don't. I don't actually know what the future is, you guys <laughs> or y'all. I mean, I think Emily um, was saying you might have noticed uh, in your searching. Yeah, that I didn't some know word if there is was like a third word. No, yeah. no. But I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for sure on social media because that's. I mean, that's obviously where it's going to start cropping up. Just I'd love to hear what people think. See. I'd love to hear yeah. what people think. Tweet tweet to us at Multiamory or for those of you who are in our Patreon group, uh, let us know. Like, what have, what have you noticed? Maybe you've noticed some trends that we haven't even thought about yet. I'm really curious mm. to hear. Yeah. yeah. So definitely keep your eyes peeled on, you know, on your friends who've just been through a breakup and see what are the ways <laughs> that they talk. What are the ways that they talk about their ex? What are the ways that they use to like... To, like to tell the story of their mm-hmm. relationship what are the words that they use to describe what the dynamic was or what are the words that they use to describe why things went wrong like i think that's where we're gonna find you know what what the next kind of big hot pop psychology thing is gonna be yeah, yeah. Mm. awesome cool. well thank that, you all so much i, I, I mean it. i think we've definitely had a, a fun time on this episode and tried to make this not super heavy but this is a pretty serious topic and, and we hope that you do take it seriously and realize that that we do as well and if you have any other questions or comments about this you can call us on our number at area code 678 m-u-l-t-i-0-5 you can also leave us a voicemail uh, there, or you can send us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can email us at info at or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show, join our private Facebook community. You can go to patreon.com slash Multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript of this episode is available on its page at multiamory.com. 